Hi, I'm Tom Field, Senior Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group. I'm talking about the need for cyber intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance. I'm speaking with Christopher Cleary. He's Director of Federal Business Development at Tenable Network Security. Christopher, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So this topic of cyber ISR, what is it exactly, and why do you believe we need it within organizations today? So the concept of ISR, or intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance, is not new. It's, it's a concept that's been floating around the Department of Defense for quite a long time. There's guys that spend their whole careers working in the field of ISR. So when we talk about the cyber ISR, it's, an, it's easy to translate one from the other if you come from a particular background. I'm going to say guys in the Department of Defense um, speak this already, and that, and I'm sure there's guys in uniform that are already using the, or coining the phrase cyber ISR. Um, but for the commercial world, it's something to, you know for us to try and get our heads around for. And when you look at guys that do sort of the tactical to practical, you know, there's a lot of military applications that eventually found their ways into commercial applications. Um, I believe this is one of them. So, so for instance, the Department of Defense does intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance. They have multiple platforms. They have multiple ways of doing it. And as I said, there's whole career fields dedicated to this. When you take that and sort of map it to the commercial world, there's something to be said first for understanding maybe the concept in cyber in particular. So taking the, the, the terms one at a time, intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance, I start with reconnaissance. If you map that to the cyber world, reconnaissance sort of equals a scan. Think something that's deliberate something that's done uh, looking for particular information or going on um, you know, discovery scans or vulnerability scans is the way that we do that. And then there's lots of commercial providers that provide tools to do that. Tenable Network Security obviously is in that field. When we think of surveillance, you think more of steady state. The analogy I would use is a camera, a surveillance camera that's, that's looking at a parking lot, always sort of steady staring into one particular point, um, but it's passive in nature. So when we think of that in the cyber world, we'd say sort of passive surveillance or things that I want to look at all the time, not necessarily knowing what I'm going to see, but I'm always sort of monitoring. So once you've collected both through surveillance and reconnaissance or active and passive, that produces information. When that information is analyzed, it becomes intelligence. That intelligence is what decision makers, both in uniform or in commercial aspects, use to sort of further inform decisions they're going to make about either the monitoring of their networks how they would operate on their networks, or more importantly, the interest that their networks may be to our adversaries. And then continue going on through business as usual. Christopher, describe the scene for me now and what you have described before as a clash of civilizations. Yeah, so this is an interesting one. And again, I'm not the first one to, 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 to coin this. But um, when you look at the way that both businesses and the, and the military in particular do business, we're very stovepiped in nature. So I'll use, I'll start with the military as an example. The three main organizations of the military or the DOD looks at the world through either guys that work in the intelligence field or, you know, the, the vernacular we use is the guys who work in the two community, and that's the number two. So to say the guys who work in the J2 or the N2, those are your intelligence guys. The guys who work in the three community or our operations field, you know, again, J3, N3, those are the guys who are, who are tasked with sort of achieving the, the objectives that their commanders put in front of them. And then you have guys that work in the J6 community or for the most part, information systems or communications fields. The clash of civilization sort of is, is traditionally the guys that acquire systems are not the same ones that have to conduct mission on those systems. 
So the J6 world or your, or your IT professionals are usually the ones that are, that are tasked with the acquisition or the sustainment or, you know, the future capability development uh, of a lot of your information systems or your information technology. Those systems are then are used by people who comprise those other two communities that live in the intelligence or the operations world. You could say this very similarly for commercial applications. You know, a lot of the guys who live in your IT shop build systems that enable companies to do whatever their function is. And then you have, you know, sales or HR or, you know, customer service that would sort of use those systems to further enhance their abilities to do, you know, whatever their organization is. So what we've seen over the last couple of years, or maybe you can say a decade, and I'm not sure if it's going to get worse before it gets better, is these different business units or in the military, different, different operational constructs sort of bumping into each other. The guys that are tasked with purchasing and maintaining systems are not always in communication with the guys who are tasked with operating those systems. And I think what you find sometimes is priorities get missed. The guys that would like to have advanced capabilities on networks may not have the money to go procure that. They would then have to ask for the guys that live in the J6 worlds to, hey, we would like this additional functionality. Those go into a budget cycles and review processes. And sometimes the things that one guys are looking for get lost or not prioritized correctly by the people that are actually going to acquire systems. What we find in the information technology world in particular, and particularly in the government, is this concept of uh, you know, low cost or technically acceptable or, you know, the need to go buy uh, commercial off the shelf capabilities that are very quickly integrated or rolled out inside whatever mission or capability we're trying to do. And we don't always see that as the best way to do business, or this is where the commercial sector would push back on and say, you know, I understand that money is tight in certain organizations, but hey, this idea of going after, you know, low cost, technically acceptable may not be the best way to go. There's lots of military analogies you can use on this. And I like to talk about, you know, aircraft or warships. An airplane, a joint strike fighter, is not a off-the-shelf aircraft that the DOD is going to buy from a commercial provider. It's a very sophisticated, specifically built, mission-purposed aircraft that was designed with survivability in mind. You know, our adversaries would want to engage that aircraft to prevent it from doing its mission. Um, I don't know if we always look through IT systems in the same lens. Um, these IT systems will also be engaged. Um, our adversaries are also very, very interested in what these IT, IT systems are doing to support operations. You carry that into the commercial world and it's no different. As a matter of fact, you can see those attacks on a much more regular basis with inside commercial environments, particularly banking, because that's where our adversaries or criminal actions, criminal activities want to go and do what it is they do, either uh, from a, uh, an industrial espionage standpoint to go to look for um, uh, commercial secrets from obviously a uh, uh, criminal activity to probably going to where the money is, trying to you know line their pockets with whatever they can get from either things like directly stealing credit cards or banking information to the rise of ransomware that we've seen most recently. And I think when you go to acquire systems with the mindset of I'm buying something to stay within a budget line item as opposed to maybe buying the best product to ensure that both either through a military application or a commercial application, that thing will be survivable uh, if challenged by uh, an adversary. And I, I think that as those communities come closer together, there's got to be a, uh, a way that both of them 
recognize each other's missions and to uh, maybe jointly go to the table when they're looking at acquiring new kinds of technology to enable what it is, whatever it is their task to do. So Christopher, let's say we introduce a cyber ISR practice. How does that change the relationship among these communities? Well, the, the trick would be to take all the stakeholders and make sure that they're represented at the table whenever we go to acquire new technology or conduct certain operations. I think it's interesting, you know, as an example, in commercial worlds, uh, maybe the idea of when you're doing, um, you know, software upgrades or, you know, going to acquire a new system, are you doing that with, let's say, the sales organization in mind? The organization that may re be required to use some piece of software that, that the company needs to do sales or enablement. Is there a big purchase or a big procurement on the horizon that is dependent on this piece of technology? And are those people at the table to understand the timeline to acquisition or how transitioning from one piece of technology to another piece of technology might inhibit certain operations that you got going on or you know commercial world sales? The idea that all people are at the table when certain activities are going down is is part of that. Uh, the military is getting much better at it because of the construct of the J2, the J3, the J6. Um, there are planning cells where all people are, are present, but that, that usually happens during mission execution. You don't often see that during technology acquisition. And I think that there needs to be people from all of those organizations at the table continuously, all the way from you know acquisition to deployment, to enablement, to you know just day-to-day -day uses. And it just all goes into understanding different equities in whatever system it is you're talking about. So Christopher, I can see where there would be certain efficiencies to be gained here. What would you describe as specific tangible business benefits that could be achieved by introducing a cyber ISR practice? Well, this goes back into the idea of, I think when people are at the table and they can both adequately appreciate the, you know, whatever the stakeholder brings to the table, um, it can help improve business decisions. You know, a lot of that would be, you know, maybe how money is spent to acquire certain technologies. And I'll speak specifically about, you know, what we do at Tenable, you know, so we're a vulnerability management. Our whole goal is to help our customers reduce their risk within their environments. I think many people see security tools, as an example, as a cost center, right? There's no real there's no real money to be made other than the people that are selling these tools in the security world. Well, the argument could be made is without these tools, your ability to sort of adequately identify vulnerabilities within your infrastructure and then um, remediate those vulnerabilities, it could have tremendous impact to, you know, your bottom line moving forward. So, you know, as an example, if I'm a uh, vendor and I do most of my business through, you know, online business applications, well, the availability of my web page to my customer base is extremely important to me. Um, there's lots of ways that that web page could be degraded. You know, denial of service is one. Cross-site scripting is another for people getting to your web page. It might be put over somewhere else. And then, of course, whatever vulnerabilities might, exi might exist in your, in your web applications could be engaged, which will seriously impact, theoretically, your revenue you would produce at the end of the year. So a cost for a particular piece of security infrastructure or equipment or software Again, what people don't like spending money on, if you're sitting at the table and understanding what the risks to your business are, uh, all stakeholders could come in and agree that maybe this upfront cost, which might prevent us from doing something else that we'd want to spend that money on down the road, will it, uh, improve our ability to adequately service our customers and mitigate any things, any 
potential actions taken by, you know, our adversaries or criminals or competitors for that reason in performing, you know, what are we doing in sort of the e-commerce world? Christopher, last question for you. Talk to me about tools and skills. What are the necessary ones to get us there to be able to introduce and embrace this practice of cyber ISR? So that's a good one. Um, Again, using kind of another uh, uh, sort of the way the Department of Defense looks at it is uh, they talk about the ability to man, train, and equip in any of their mission spaces. Manning is obvious. You know, where do you get the the manpower available to conduct these missions? Training is also self-evident. You know, what, what information do I need to impart on that individual so he can adequately, you know, conduct the duties that we put in front of him? And then equipping. How is it that we give that person the resources or tools that they need to conduct that job? In today's marketplace, what I would argue is the thing that we're, that we're struggling with the most is, I'll probably say, is the training aspect of that. The manpower seems to be available uh, and the tools seem to be available. It's the, the effective use of those tools that seems to be in question. And I'll give you an example. To simply be able to know how to use something is not the same thing as to be able to employ something as it was designed. I think we all know how to use computers. I'm sure everybody that listens to this, this blog will understand how to use WordPerfect or a, or, or a Word software, but we're not all authors. We're not all, you know, we're not Stephen King. So just because I've, I, I know how to read and write and I know how to use Word does not make me an author. I think what we're finding here is the, the acquisition of these capabilities sometimes are not properly rolled out within in their environments. And furthermore, most of the people that are asked to use these tools only learn is not enough about enough about them to basically conduct whatever it is we've asked them to do. So it's the real mastery of a tool set that is the tricky part here. You know, many of these tools are, uh, they're not easy to deploy. They're not easy to maintain. And uh, if you don't sort of read the entire manual and then use these tools on a regular basis, uh, your proficiency with them could quickly fall off. So that when you're challenged, in a uh, hostile environment or, you know, when, um, uh, when crisis or, or problems arise, sometimes they're not responded to in a timely fashion because of the, the, the lack of familiarity with the tools that they've been asked to use. Because most of the people who, are, who live in the security world are tasked with many, many other functions that live outside the security role. And then you find a lot of your organizations, mostly, you will say your mid to smaller markets, um, your larger enterprises typically have you know, trained security professionals, but in your smaller business areas, you know, it's one of many things that you're asking somebody in your IT department to do. And a lot of times that gets lost in the noise because your security tools maybe aren't always as important as your, let's say your business enablement tools. Again, when problems arise, you find that the, 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 the familiarity with the tools you should have gets lost in the noise. Christopher, fascinating topic. I appreciate your time and your insight today. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. We've been talking about the need for cyber intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance. I've been speaking with Christopher Cleary. He's Director of Federal Business Development at Tenable Network Security. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.